here for you. And it's going to seem like that I'm going at a snail's pace, but I feel like there's some really practical things right here. Everyone say Simon. Simon is Peter's original name, okay, right? We call him Simon Peter. Um, it's kind of like, you know he was probably from the Midwest because usually if someone has two names, they're from the Midwest or the South, like Timmy John or whatever. So Simon Peter, um, and, and Simon, the meaning of, of Simon is this, shifting sand, shifting sand. And that's what, uh, why shifting sand? So uh, how do you remember when Peter, and I, I talked about this a little bit last week, Peter was, was, was always, uh, there's some things about Peter I can relate to Peter so well. Peter was talking when he should have been listening. How many have ever been there? All right, look at this. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 21 and 22, Jesus said, I must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things. And what did Peter say? Lord, far be it from me. I am not going to let that happen. What did Jesus say to Peter? Get behind me, Satan. He was talking when he should have not been talking. I, I've been there. And, so, and then look at this. The next, the next thing, Peter was sleeping when he should have been praying. How many can relate to that? I remember one time at camp, I, we were supposed to be praying, and I went and I prayed until I fell asleep. I was just resting in the arms of the Lord right then and there, you know. Um, but, but Peter, he was sleeping when he should have been praying. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus asked, you know, his three closest disciples to pray with him. But um, just like our flesh gets a hold of us, his flesh got a hold of him, and he fell asleep, and and you guys know know the story. And and there's another moment where Peter was stepping out when he should be holding back. Uh, how many of you guys have put the, the cart before the horse before? I've done that before. And John chapter 18, verse 10, Peter tried to stop the arrest of Jesus by 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 cutting off Malchus's ear. And he, he thought he was going to do something there. And Jesus is like, listen, this is all ordained. Hey. Uh, this is not this is not what we're supposed to do. So he stepped out instead of holding back. And then here's the flip side to that. Man, you almost feel bad for him. Um, Peter was holding back when he should have stepped out. Anybody ever done that? When you know you should have done it, but 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 you you hold back. You know some you have some reservation. In John chapter 13 verse 8, Peter told Jesus, "Hey, you'll never wash my feet." But Jesus said, "You'll have no share with me uh, if I don't." Or you cannot be a part of what I'm doing if you don't let me wash your feet. And so it's, it's interesting. That's why I like Peter because I can relate to this guy because I talk when I'm not supposed to talk. I, I do when I'm not supposed to do. I don't do what I am supposed to do. How many can relate to that? I tell you what, I, I, uh, and it seems I was going through this and I was kind of going through that. It seems John... He's really hard on Peter, like as far as like when he, he points out a lot of his flaws. I think they were really close. Um, you know, it's the same John that said he beat Peter to the to the grave, to the tomb, to Jesus. He made sure you understood that. He was going to let you know that. But um, but I can relate to, to Peter because I have some of the some, same characteristics uh, that, that he had. I have some of the same tendencies that, that he had and in my own walk and in my own history. So, um, so but... If you feel like you, you're Peter, here's some good news for you. How many like good news? Even with all his setbacks, his denials of Jesus, his stumbles and, and his falters, Simon Peter made it through. You know why? You know why he made it through? Luke chapter 22, verse 32 gives us a clue of how he made it through. It says this, 
and this is Jesus speaking, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Oh, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. You, you, that is such a great point. And when, when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. And, so, um, and the same thing is true for you and me. You know what the scripture says in Hebrews chapter, chapter 7, verse 25. It says, consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost, talking about Jesus, those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives and what? Makes intercession for them. Do you know that right now, in the middle of your trial, in the middle of your situation, Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father, praying and interceding for you. How many does that? That gives, that gives me so much hope. I love that. I love that so much. At all times, he's praying and interceding for us. At all times, when we're tired, when we're asleep, the Lord is still, Jesus is still interceding for us. But uh, you know why he does that? Is it because we're worthy? No, it's not, no, no, it's, you know why he does that? Because Jesus is faithful. He is, you know what? Old faithful is not, not a geyser in Yellowstone. Old faithful is Jesus Christ because he comes through every time on time. Amen. So God was faithful to Peter even when he was uh, Simon. And I don't know about you. How many are glad that God was, has been faithful to you even back when you were in your Simon days? Some of you know what I'm talking about. It says this, Simon and then what? Peter. Everyone say Peter. All right. I want to break this down a little bit. So when Jesus called Peter, he said, you, Simon, but you are Petros, right? Uh, or Peter or rock. Everyone say rock. As if you say, uh, you know, you're not shifting sand anymore, Simon, Peter. You, you're, you're Peter. You're Peter, so you are a rock because now uh, I, I'm going to do something in you and I'm going to accomplish something through you. But when was Simon's name officially changed to Peter? It was in uh, 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 Philippi, and it's, it's interesting to me, uh, Caesarea Philippi, in Matthew chapter 16, I'm going to read this verbatim right here, chapter 16, it's not going to be up on the screen, it says this, Jesus is having this conversation with his disciples, I love this bit of scripture, there's so many nuggets of truth in here, and if you can grab onto this, this is life changing, okay, look at this, in, 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 in verse 13, the second part of verse 13, it says, who do people say that the son of man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, right? Others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And look at this, verse 16, I like this. It says this, Simon Peter, everyone say Simon Peter. All right, replied, you are the Christ, I love that. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. Verse 17, and Jesus answered him, and he said, blessed are you, Simon, um, uh, the son of, uh, uh, I lost my place. Blessed are you, Simon, uh, uh, Barjona, that's his father, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. Verse 18, and I tell you, you are Peter. Everyone say Peter. And on 
this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Verse 19, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Jesus throwing some hard punches right there. I love this. But look at this. Peter went from shifting sand, he was Simon shifting sand, to a rock when he understood who Jesus was, when he confessed who Jesus was. You want to go from shifting sand in your relationship with God, you've got to believe and you've got to confess who Jesus Christ is. Everyone say amen. He said this. Peter said this. You are Christ, son of the living God. While others were saying Old Testament prophets, the Lord, the Holy Spirit was speaking to Peter there and, and showing him and speaking to him. Uh, Peter's identity was discovered that day. It was his confession that revealed it. And maybe you're still searching for your identity. You know what's interesting? There's a lot of people who are still searching for their identity. Sometimes there's 50, 60-year-old people that are Still trying to figure out who they are. And if that's you, hey, that's okay. Can I tell you something? You'll never realize who you are until you realize who you are in Jesus Christ. That's the true identity that you need. Peter, Simon, didn't know who he was until he made this declaration here, this confession. And then Jesus spoke something powerful over his life. And how many knows that when Jesus speaks over your life, it will come to pass? You may have some setbacks. Did Peter go through some setbacks? Yeah. There's a growth process in all of us. But, but, but he, he eventually became who he was supposed to. So all other things um, in your life, you know, some of us think we have identity problems. Who should I marry? Your job situation. Should I drive this car or this car, right? Some of us are, are, are think our identity is based in the car that we drive. That is not true, all right? So, so check Check this out. So, um, but God, he, he's working in us, but our identity is in Christ and him alone. Amen. Can I tell you something? This is what happens when we confess who Jesus is. There's a realization within us. God doesn't exist for us, but that all things were made by him and for him is what Colossians 1.16 says. The one who died for us. So, when we see who we are to him, that's when our identity begins to, we, you know what? I am here to serve the living God. Here's the thing. I could chase jobs. I could chase opportunities. I can chase experiences. But your identity in Christ, your identity is in Jesus Christ. So here, this is interesting to me. If I, I, I thought about this. Show me a teenager who understands their identity that is not based in a relationship with a, a, a male friend or a female friend. But they understand that their identity is, it is in Christ Jesus, and they will be on a sure foundation. Amen? Amen? That's, 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 that's so good. Listen, I, I, I taught youth for a long time. And, and man, our youth that, that I was a, the leader of was called Identity Youth because I understood something about what it meant to have your identity in Christ Jesus because it transforms you and you become somebody that you never thought you could be because Christ in you, right, is the hope of glory. Amen? Uh, how about this? A mom who understands her purpose is to please Christ more than pleasing her family. That's somebody that understands their identity. How about this? A businessman or a businesswoman who understands 
that their job is to, is when they go to their job, it's a chance to share Christ first and not just move up vocationally. Come on, somebody. Those are the ones that understand their true identity, their true purpose. See, in First Peter, Peter introduces himself as, as Peter. In this second one, he introduces himself as Simon Peter. It's interesting to me. Why would he go back to that, you know? But I, I think there's something here. This is what happens to a lot of us. When we've been saved for a while, how many have been saved for a while? When we've been saved for a while, we forget about the miry clay that the Lord pulled us out of. And we can only go back. We look back. It's okay to go back and look where Christ brought us from. I'm not saying you need to stay there in guilt or anything, but you could say, man, I, I was that, but now I'm this. Thank you, Jesus. I don't know about you. There was a Simon part of my life, but thank God I'm walking in this other side of my life where God has changed my identity. Amen. So, uh, so Peter, uh, about to d die, he reflects back and he reminds us to look back at where God has brought us from. Here's the next one right here. It says this, a servant. Man, you guys are thinking, boy, we're going to be through this uh, by the end of next January, you know, <laughs> if we keep going at this pace. A servant. And, and this, the word servant here is a Greek word, doulos, or bondservant. And, and if you know anything about the history of bondservants, they would work six years, and they would be bondservants. And then after six years, they had the choice to be set free, or they could stay and work for their masters, and what would happen when they would stay and work with their masters is they would they would signify that, that they could be free, but they are not free. They continue to work for their masters, but they would signify by getting an earring. Did you know that? It's interesting. So when people saw them, they knew, hey, that was a bond servant, but they are they are still connected to their masters. So so what this is what Peter's saying here. Although the bondservant was to serve their masters for life. The master was committed to also providing for the slaves. So they would take care of them. How many know that when you commit to Jesus, Jesus will commit to you? Amen. Uh, oh, that's, that's so good. When you commit to Jesus, he will commit to you. He will provide your needs. He will take care of you. How many know that God cares about you? If he cares about the lilies of the field, does he not care for you? If he cares about the birds in the fields, does he not care for you is what the scripture says. So he, he loves you. So if you know the character of Jesus at all, and Peter did, makes sense. The guy walked with Jesus for three years. He understood some things about Jesus that I think a lot of us may not know. But he understood this, that if I serve the Lord, he will take care of me. If I follow, if I'm obedient, if I will cast my net on the other side like he's telling me, he will supply my need. Amen? Oh, this is good stuff. Here's the next one. An apostle of Jesus Christ. So uh, an apostle means sent out one. Everyone say sent out one. So out of, you know, multiple, and I know Jesus had 12 disciples, but there were multiple hundreds of people that at, at any given moment that were following Jesus, hundreds of disciples who followed Jesus. But Jesus only cho chose 12 to follow him closely, right? And he had the inner circle there. And, and, and then he used those 12 to send out to ministry. And what you're seeing today is a byproduct of these 12 uh, disciples going out, or 11 disciples, I should say, going out. Okay, so look at this. Uh, this is interesting to me. Um, notice the progression here. Peter is a servant first to the Lord and then an apostle. 
Think about that for a minute. He's a servant first and then an apostle. Uh, Mark chapter 9, verse 35 says this. And he sat down and called the twelve, and he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all, and a what? Servant of all. Everyone say servant. So look at this progression here. Just the first, first little bit here. First little bit of this scripture. The, this progression says this. Uh, look, Simon. Everyone say Simon. That is shifting sand. Everyone say shifting sand. And, and now look at this. So he goes from Simon to, uh, and after he recognizes Jesus, and he becomes Peter. Everyone say Peter. Everyone say the rock. All right. And then he becomes what? Servant. Everyone say servant. All right. And then he becomes an apostle of Jesus Christ. Look at that order of things. So God took Simon shifting sand, turning him into a rock, turning him into a servant of the Lord, to an apostle of Christ who would change the world. How many know that God wants to work a progression in you too as well? Man, this, this is beautiful stuff. This is great stuff. To those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours. So Peter's saying this, I'm an apostle of Christ. I walk with Jesus. But let me tell you something. Listen to me. You, some of us, we want to throw Peter and Paul up on a pedestal like they were something great. But this is not what Peter's saying here. He's saying, hey, my faith is equal to yours. I serve the same God you serve. I'm no better than you. And I, I you know, I'm not flying first class and you guys are back in coach. No, that's not the case. I don't have any special privileges that you don't have access to. Come on, somebody. I don't know about you, but that encourages me because you know what? Sometimes I'm not the best. No matter where you are in your walk with the Lord, the blood of Jesus gives us equal standing. Amen? That's, that's great. By the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So Peter is, is, is calling Jesus, the one whom he walked with for three years, God. He has is, he is put it out there. Hey, it's, it's all about Jesus Christ. He is God. He is the Christ. Verse 2. Everyone say, man, we're on verse 2 already, 20 minutes in. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. So um, the more knowledge of Jesus Christ you have, the greater understanding you'll have that God is truly a God of grace. I'm going to tell you, the older I get, the more I understand God's grace. The longer I walk in this thing with the Lord, the more I comprehend this grace thing. I mean, I mean, and, it's, and God's revealing this to me, uh, you know, just daily and daily. So uh, how many remember Billy Graham? Yeah, anybody ever heard of that guy? Okay, Billy Graham, when he started his ministry, when he was a young man, he was referred to as God's machine gun. You're throwing truths out there, right? And But here's what happened. As he grew in the knowledge of Christ, he became more grace-oriented. And I love this phrase, he became seasoned with grace. You know what I love to be around pastors who have served for a while because there is a seasoning on them that that is just, I, I love to be around because it's just seasoned with grace. And they just seem to know how to just make every situation work. Well, you know, what this is going on. Well, it's going to be all right. God's got this. And you just know, right? Oh, but here's what Billy Graham did. He preached without compromise, but he was seasoned in grace. And he, he stated that as he grew older in the Lord, he was amazed more and more by God's grace. 
So the older you grow in the Lord, the more grace-oriented you'll be. Amen? So look at this, verse number three. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Everyone say buckle up. All right, this is a bit of good scripture right here. This, this, this is good scripture right here. So his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So Peter's saying this. God has given us all that we need to live a life of godliness. Let me repeat that for the people in the back, all right? I'm not picking on the people in the back. Peter is saying God has given us all that we need to live a life of godliness. Or here's the old-fashioned way of saying this, or above the reproach of sin. Oh, Peter coming out. This is radical, right? This is radical for us because we have, uh, a lot of us have not even grasped this in our own minds. See, we're, we're looking for the key to life or something uh, to magically unlike, uh, unlock life's secret, the combination or the padlock of, of goodness or godliness. But Peter says this, God has already given us all the things that pertain to life and godliness. How about this? I'll give you a little example here. Think about a baby, a healthy baby that's born, right? All the necessary organs, everything's working perfectly fine in a young baby. Are those organs small, right? And maybe they need some care at, at the beginning, but you start feeding those organs, and you start feeding that baby, that baby begins to talk, that baby begins to crawl, that baby begins to walk. And before you know it, that baby becomes, uh, uh, you know, an elementary student, and then that baby becomes an adolescent, and then that baby becomes an adult. I've watched it in my own life, my own kids. What am I saying? The organs were always there. They were just developed. Listen, God has given you everything you need to live a godly life. It's already there. You just got to develop it. You got to develop it. So some people spend their whole life buying reading books, and there's nothing wrong with, with books. And I believe that there are very great Christian authors, authors out there, and, and, and there's some great things that can unlock some spiritual awakening. But here's the thing. We can simply grow in the knowledge that we already have been given Everything we need to live abundantly and godly. So how so? you got to read on right here. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. So um, here's what happens. We grow as we get to know the Lord. And you ready? You can write these down. Your note taker. Prayer. The word. Worship. Maybe it's morning by morning. Maybe it's day by day. Maybe it's evening by evening. The more that we know him, the more we learn how this pertains to a life of godliness. How are you supposed to know how to act like the Lord and live in a godly form if you don't have a relationship with the Lord and you're not fostering that relationship with the Lord? A lot of us, we want our relationship with the Lord to be one-sided. Lord, give me, 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 give me. God said, no, I've put everything in you to develop that. You can live above the reproach of sin. So uh, the word, uh, it's as interesting to me, the word glory here. Is an interesting one. In the Hebrew, in the Old Testament, we know this word glory is kabod. Everyone say kabod. And that means weight or heaviness. It means substance. It's the opposite of cotton candy. 
Why do you spend $5 on cotton candy that just disappears in your mouth? I'll never understand that, right? And, but it, kabod, there's substance to it. And, and the Lord has called us to a substantial and meaningful life. Verse 4, by which he has granted us to his precious and very great promises. Um, you ever heard a, a teacher say that they'll show you great promises? You ever heard a teacher say that? I don't know, maybe not. Or maybe this. How about this? I, I mean, Micah, you could probably relate to this. You have, you have piano students, and you may see a student and go, you know what? This, this student has great promise. I, I feel like that they have the ability to be a great uh, a piano player, but, you know, th- there's just a little bit of work that has to be done. How, how about this? Or a coach tells you about your kid. Man, they show great promise. You just need to keep working this out with them. But here's the question. They may show promise. Do they live up to it? The same question goes for us as believers. Here's the thing. God has given us everything we need to be godly. But do we do it? Do we walk it out? Uh, and, if, and, and he also makes amazing promises available to you and me, right? The Bible's full of all kinds of promises for you and for me. Do we walk those out? Do we live those? Uh, if he gives them, the question is, are you living up to them? Next part of that uh, bit, verse says, so that through them you may become partakers of, of the divine nature. So partaker there, a person who consumes or indulges in something. I am a partaker of dessert. I am a partaker of of the food at the Christmas banquet the other day. I am a partaker in that. So how do we do this? We, part, we partake of the divine nature through the promises he has given us and through the knowledge of him who gave himself for us. Next part of that scripture says, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful, uh, because of sinful desire. So uh, how many would say that the world is chaos? How many would say the world has craziness, right? Uh, the chaos and the craziness of this world can be traced to to one thing. All right, and and I mean you could you could stem you could you could you could you could lead it out of this, but this is what it is right here. And you know, I mean some of this may stem from pride, but but look at this. This word is this lust. Everyone say lust. You know what lust is? We always think of it in a sexual a sexual way, but you know what lust is? Wanting more. Lust is a consuming fire. It just wants more. That's not enough. I didn't satisfy, so I want more. I want more. I want more. Whether it's money, whether it's sex, whether it's esteem, approval, it always says, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me, I want. And as a believer, we have been set free from such mindsets. Did you know that? We've been set free from those things. We've all been delivered, but because the scripture tells us in John 8, 36, that whom the Son has set free is what? Oh, come on, say it again. You are free indeed. When, when you ask Jesus to wash your sins away, he sets you free. Some of us want to go back to our old mindsets and our old ways of doing things. 
But here's what, here's what happens. When, we, when we're free, it's what sets us apart. The world looks at us crazy and say, you don't act the same way. You're not using the same vocabulary that I am in front of my 8-year-old kid in, front of, in this pizza store right now, dropping, you know, cuss words ever so often. You're not talking that way. You're, not, you're being patient with your kid. You are being kind. You are a generous person. I don't understand you. Why are you the way that you are? See, our behaviors, they, they're, they're different than the world. So look at this. Verse 5 says this. For this very reason, and the King James Version says, and besides this, sounds like kids in an argument, and besides this, right? And besides this, or in light of this, another way to say this is this. There's a cause and effect in play here. This is what's happening, okay? Besides this, in light of the fact that we have everything we need to live a godly life, and live a life fully, we have been given hundreds of promises, and the word of God is so gracious, the fact that we are freed from the grip of lust, so, so we are to be those to, who add, add, add their faith diligently every day, amen? All right, look at this. Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. Man, this, this, this is some good, good, good teaching right here. And I'm not saying it because I'm doing it. I'm just, I'm, just, I'm just taking what the word of God is saying right here. Peter says this, you have faith. Now go for virtue. You got faith? Now go for virtue. Well, what do you mean by that? What's virtue? Go for moral excellence. That's the definition of virtue. Go for moral excellence that when people see you and say, that person is living above the reproach of sin. That means that, oh, man, boy, don't throw stuff at me. That means that some of the popular TV shows that are on right now, you ought not watch. Ooh, don't throw anything at me. That means that what the culture deems is good for your soul is not always good for your soul. Oh, here's another one. How about this? That means that when they give you the wrong amount of cash back and they over, over give you too much money back, that you have the integrity to go back and go, hey, you gave me $10 too much, rather than walking away and saying, I got them. So why should I live with high moral excellence? You know why? It is good for my soul. It's good for my soul. It doesn't save me. But listen, it is good for my soul, and here's the other side, flip side of that. It's good for me, but it's also good. I'm a good witness for the Lord when I live with high moral excellence. When I let my yes be a yes and my no be a no. Look, this next part of Scripture says, and virtue with knowledge. Everyone say virtue with knowledge. Uh, why is virtue before knowledge? Well, I believe it's because... Um, we don't carry a high moral ex- if we don't carry a high moral excellence in our life, it opens doors for our minds to be cluttered with sinful things. If we don't carry that high in our mind and, and, and we add knowledge, so here let me give you let me give you some examples here. How about how about this? When we fill ourselves with all kinds of knowledge, maybe uh, different things, uh, you know, violence on TV, what, whatever, your mind only has so much capacity. Some of you are like, I know that's right. Some of your wives are like, I know that's right in my husband, right? Your mind only has so much capacity 
And oftentimes we're filling it up with everything <laughs> with, with, with everything that we shouldn't fill it up with and not with what we need to fill it up with. So, um, and it can only be filled with so much. But here's what happens. When we have a junk food diet in our minds, right? How many know junk food's bad? How many know it takes a long time to work off a thing of fries? All right. When you have a junk food diet in your mind and you begin to fill your mind with pornography and with media and with shows and music, is all that stuff bad? I'm not saying it's all bad. But, but you begin to fill it with garbage. It doesn't leave any room for moral excellence. It doesn't leave any room. And then what happens is our, our knowledge becomes murky because we're mixing oil and water. And how many know, you, you, you know, it just doesn't work. And moral excellence makes, uh, makes room for us to take, uh, take in the word. And when we, when we have moral excellence, we begin to read the word of God. And it begins to replace things like media and movies and those things. And, and, and what happens is the word of God begins to gain a foot, good gain a foothold in our life, and the knowledge of the Lord begins to take hold of us. And we begin to walk freer and freer and freer. Oh, come on now. How many of you, it's like taking the garbage out of your garage. How many like a good spring clean in your garage? Go through there, get rid of a bunch of junk so you can buy more junk and put in there, right? No, 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 no. What you're supposed to do is take all the junk that you don't use out of there and then go in and organize that thing so you know where everything's at. Amen? It's good knowledge. Look at this, verse 6. And knowledge with self-control. Everyone say knowledge with self-control. So the key here is that when I gain knowledge, my tendency is to say, hey, I have this knowledge, so now I've got this under control. Anybody ever, uh, oh, that's me. I've been there. Hey, I, got, I, I know how this works. I got this under control. I, I remember there was a young man. Uh, when I was a youth pastor, and he, he was helping us out, and he had such a burden for the lost, had such a burden for the lost, and he said, hey, pastor, I, I, I really feel this, this need to, to reach the, these lost people, and so I'm going uh, to go into the bars, and I'm going to go witness to people, and I said, you better not. He said, why? I said, because, listen, you're in a place, you're in a vulnerable place. You have knowledge, but listen, you're in a vulnerable place here. And, and you may not, you're going to lose self-control in this process. What happened? I, you know that. You know how the story ends. He went, started with good intentions. And next thing I know, I found, found him over and over and just stepping back from the will of God, falling into depravity. So I look at that and I say, Peter, he's warning us here and he's saying, Hey, we can gain knowledge, but we, uh, we must be sure that we don't get caught up in a Pharisee mindset. Here's the flip side of that. When you get a, a Pharisee mindset where you think that you're superior to others because I am keeping all of this going, right? You know the story, right? Oh, I love the tax collector in that story where he's sitting there and he's saying, Woe is me, a sinner. I don't deserve this grace and mercy. So he's saying this. There's two things here. Knowledge, man, it can puff us up or it can bring us down. And, and we can indulge ourselves in ways that will destroy us. Here's the next little bit. It says, and self-control with steadfastness. Everyone say, self-control with steadfastness. Although I have self-control, I'm disciplined or I'm temperate. If I'm not careful, I can become impatient with those who aren't. Come on. So, therefore, i got to add patience to my life. 
with self-control. How many of you guys lose your patience sometimes? I'm going to say this. If you have a, a, a son or a daughter in here, but if you have a wayward son or daughter, you ever lost patience with them? You ever get frustrated with them because they're not making the right decision? They're not making good decisions? You know what? This is, good. this is a good little bit of scripture for you. It takes a good deal of self-control to remain patient with them. Amen? Look at this. In steadfastness with godliness. Everyone say godliness. I am to be patient, but not to the point where I no longer stand for righteousness and godliness. For those of you who have kids that are wayward and they're, they're out doing stuff, and you know that they need to be doing other things, be patient with them. Love on them. Look at this next bit of that scripture, verse 7. And godliness with brotherly affection. Brotherly affection keeps godliness from, from being harsh. Uh, brotherly, uh, uh, you could say it like this. Everyone just say kindness. Be nice. Be kind. Um, you know, here's the thing. Uh, you know, no one likes a mean Christian. I don't like a mean Christian. I like one that's full of the love of Christ, full of the Holy Spirit, ministering. So what, what, is, what is brotherly affection? It's kindness. Look at this. And brotherly affection with love. Everyone say love. 1 John 3.14 tells us that love is proof that we have passed from death to life. It's easy to see why, why um, Peter here places love, agape, agape, perfect love at the top of this list. The top of this list. This is great. First Peter 4 8 says, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since what? Love covers what? A multitude of sins. Everyone look at your neighbor and say, Hey, I love you. See what happens when I love you correctly, and here's the thing when I love you correctly and I make room for your mistakes, come on, somebody. When I love someone correctly, that means that I'm going to make room for their mistakes. Are people going to make mistakes? Come on, somebody. There's going to be times uh, where people are going to, man, they're going to have to ask for forgiveness. And we're going to have to make room for people when they let us down. Anybody ever had a friend let you down? Ooh, doesn't that hurt? Anybody ever had your spouse let you down? Ooh, doesn't that hurt? Doesn't that frustrate? Here's, here's what happens, though. My job is to always love through those processes. Verse 8 says this, For if these uh, qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being uh, ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So if you feel barren, anybody ever, you feel spiritually dry, if you're going through a dry season in your walk, the Holy Spirit inspired Peter to tell you these things. Start being kind to people. Start walking in self-control. With the help of the Holy Spirit, of course. You know what? Yeah, You're not going to do it all on your own. Start being patient. Oh, I like that too. You said that one, Pastor. Oh, here's the tough one. You ready? Go for moral excellence. I didn't get any amens on that one. Go for moral excellence. The degree to how you put these into work in your life will be the degree to which you are fruitful and productive in the knowledge of the Lord. 
Maybe you have some barriers in your life right now. Listen, you, you put these things to work. Oh, uh, listen, there's so many good things in this little bit of scripture. In John 15, it says this. Jesus said this, abide in me and I will what? Abide in me and I will abide in you. A branch cannot bear fruit on its own unless it abides in me. You can't do it on your own. You're going to have to lean into the Lord. We must abide in the one who all of these traits exist. All of these traits exist in the Lord. And you want to start talking and being and, and being a good witness to the Lord and having these traits right here, you've got to get connected to the one who already has these traits. And those things will begin pumping out of you. And people will start saying, man, that person's kind. That person's patient. That person's loving. Abiding in him daily will be incorporated in our lives. Verse 9 says this. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind. Everyone say blind. Haven't forgotten that he was, thank you, that, that he was cleansed from the, his former sins. So look at this. The lack of, of fruitfulness in a believer's life, and Peter, he, he brings this out. There's, it may be caused by two factors. I believe there's multiple factors, but here's two. Number one, blindness and forgetfulness. Sounds like old age to me. <laughs> right? I'm not picking on anybody. But a blinded and nearsighted person is only concerned with the present life. You know why? Because I can't see far enough, right? Can't see very far. A nearsighted person, I don't know if it's nearsighted, farsighted, I don't remember. But they see up close, right? They're only worried about what's happening around this, them in this moment, what's close at hand. Uh, they see things with material value here on earth but not eternal value. And what happens when we get nearsighted, this causes us to forget the wonderful sense of cleansing that comes from turning one, oneself over to Christ. So then we can see things further down the line. So how do I keep from doing either? Uh, John 15 tells us, everyone say abide in the vine. That's it, abide in the vine. Verse 10, therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will Never what? Ooh, that's a potent bit of scripture right there. For in this way, or I'm sorry, therefore, brothers, be, uh, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will what? Oh, this is good stuff. Some say, hey, I'm worried about stumbling. Well, according to Peter, if you do these things, you will not stumble and fall. You won't fall. Yeah, is it processed? Yes. Or am I working this out daily? Yes, I'm, I'm, I'm doing this. But listen, I say, God, help me every day. Help me to follow these qualities. Verse 11 says this. For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. If you do all these things, not only will you be fruitful in this life, but you'll be rewarded eternally. You know God's keeping record of what you're doing in this life. You know what you're doing in this life will matter eternally. Oh, you didn't know that. Peter, he doesn't, you know what I love about this? Peter doesn't give us 15-volume set of books on how to be fruitful. How many are grateful for that? It would be a long sermon series, right? Uh, no, he, he knew it He knew it need to be simple for someone like me. He gives us this one, two, three instruction to succeed. Instead, Peter gives us two verses to follow. If, if I don't pursue knowledge, 
I may fall. If I don't add virtue, I may fall. If I don't seek after godliness, I may fall. How many know that that's pretty simple? When you break it down, if I if I do these things, I won't be fall. I won't fall, and I won't, and I'll be rewarded eternally on top of that. So this kind of teaching tells me. <laughs> I love this kind of teaching because this kind of teaching tells me that I can live above the reproach of sin. I can walk this thing out daily, not in my own strength, but if I stay uh, connected to the vine, the vine, the big vine. Guess what? It flows in me. Look at this. You know, the, the, the scripture tells us uh, that there's a difference between barely making it into heaven and, and someone who richly, uh, uh, abundantly makes it into heaven. Look at this. In Revelation twenty two twelve. it says that the fruitful and the faithful living here will be rewarded by greater privileges and rewards in glory. Interesting, right? Verse 12, therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. Verse 13, I think it's right as long as I am in this body to stir you up by the way of reminder. How many need a good reminder every once in a while? So three times in in these verses, 12 through 15, Peter speaks to remind his readers of the truth that he has already shared. Hey, go back. Listen to this. Look at this. Reminds me uh, of my teachers in high school. They were good at this. Hey, just so you know, this will be on the test, right? Two minutes later. Just so you know, this will be on the test. And then again, just so you know, this will be on the test. Oh, I better write this down. How many know we need a good reminder, right? Oh, man, I, I know in life, you know, I you know, one of my basketball coaches, he always said this. He said, you know, practice doesn't make perfect. He goes, practice makes permanent. And I always love that statement because the more you practice something, the more you do something, man, it becomes instilled in you and you get better at it, right? And here's Paul, most, like, most likely in prison, and, and whatever bit of, or not Paul, Peter in prison here, and whatever time he has left, he, he's saying this, hey, I know you guys know this stuff. But I need to remind you again, listen, you need to hear it again so that it's established in you. Pastor, why do you repeat the same things over and over? So it will get inside of you. Oh, one of the greatest pieces of advice I can give for any Bible teacher or parent or, or anybody who's used in the service of the Lord is this, repetition. Repetition over and over and over. You know, here's the thing. Our minds have been affected by sin. We forget, right? We move on and we forget things. I, I forget things often the older I get. So, so we preach on, and, 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 you know, on and, you know, on Wednesdays and Sundays, and we preach on things and we remind over and over, over and over until it is established in you. Here, I'll give you an example. Hope is what? The expectation of what? Oh, a few of you got it. Of coming good. Hope is the expectation. You know what? You heard that every time in First Peter, in every chapter, I said that multiple times. And those things will stick inside of you. Hope, hope in the Bible is this, the expectation of coming good. It's not how much you know that counts. It's how well you know it. Right? All the teachers. 
Yeah, you can, you can spout off a lot. How well do you know it? What matters is how well you understand the basic truths and how deep they sink into your soil, the soil of your soul. Verse 14 says this. All right. Since I know that putting off my body will, will be soon as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. So um, Peter understood his death was coming, and he's like, hey, I'm about to lose this body. I'm about to get my new body. I'm about to go to heaven. I'm, I'm about to lose this body. I'm about to have, some of you are like, man, I'm ready to trade mine in right now. All right, verse 15 says this, and I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. I'm writing these things down. Oh, I'm writing these things down for you so that when I'm gone, you can go back and reread these things. This is important stuff right here. The King James Version says uh, uh, deceased instead of departure. That's a little bit more morbid. And the Greek word for deceased there is exodus, E-X-O-D-O-S, exodus, like exit. He's, he's on an exit. I, I, I kind of like that. I'm about to exit. I'm about to leave. Like the children of Israel, they were about to leave the promised land. Peter, he's about or leave Egypt and go into the promised land or head towards the promised land. Peter, he's about to leave this earth for the ultimate promised land. But before he goes, he lays out these three important truths concerning the word of God, okay? I'm going to try to get through these three things. We'll stop wherever we need to stop. First thing he reminds us is this, that men die but the word of God lives. How many have a favorite preacher? You don't have to say it's me. It's all right. I understand that. <laughs> Thank you, Dustin. You're sweet. Listen. Listen. Can I tell you something? Don't put your hope in a, in a preacher. Preachers fail. Preachers make mistakes. Preachers are humans. They're not perfect. I know that's hard to believe. Don't put your hope in a, in, in a preacher because here's what happens. Eventually that preacher is going to die. But you know what keeps going? The word of God. Many preachers have died over the last 2,000 years. Many, many mighty men of God have died. The word of God keeps going and going and going. And going. Look at this. Verse 16 says this. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when, when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. So we're not following fables here. Peter's saying. We're not following myths. We're not superheroes. We're not following zodiac signs. Come on, somebody. We're not following fads. We're not following theories. Peter says, hey, listen. I'm an actual eyewitness to this to this Jesus Christ guy. I was there. I, I failed him. I failed him. I denied him. He went to the cross, but guess what? When he raised from the dead, I was there at the tomb. I saw him ascend into heaven. I saw him fulfill his promise in Acts chapter 2. Look at this. Verse 17 says this. For when we received honor and glory from God the Father... And a voice was born to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Verse 18. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven for we uh, were with him on the holy mountain. So Peter is referring to the transfiguration, right? And Jesus' deity is shown through, through his humanity in this moment. It's a beautiful, 
bit of scripture, right? So imagine this. Imagine being Peter and hearing the voice from heaven, and there's Jesus, transfigured, glowing, and then all of a sudden, here's Moses, and then there's Elijah. Can you imagine being a part of that? I would just be like, what in the world? This is amazing to me. And so uh, it would be an awesome spectacle to see, but but here's what would have, have been uh, Peter, he experienced this, but this is what he said. There's something even better than that experience that I had. Look at this, verse 19. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. Everyone say more fully confirmed. Peter is saying experience is great, but we have a greater confirmation, confirmation than just our experiences. All right? If I were to ask you this, I'm going to ask a tough question here. If you had a moment to be with Jesus at at the transfiguration, to see Moses and to see Elijah and hear a voice from heaven and be a part of that, or have the Old Testament in your hand, what would you pick? You know the right answer, right? But most of us say, oh, I I want that experience. I want that experience. But here's what's interesting. Peter's like, no, 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 no. Listen, I experienced that. I want the other. Let me tell you why. Because this is what happens. Here's number two. Experience fades, but the word of God endures. So men die, but the word of God endures. Experience fades, but the word of God endures. So there's nothing wrong with experience, okay? Hear me out. Nothing wrong with experiences. Our human tendency is when we experience something is to have more and more of it, right? There's nothing, we, are, we are beings that, that experience things. We feel things. And here's what we know. The children of Israel are a perfect example. They saw so many miracles when they left Egypt, right? They saw the Red Sea part, and and they they crossed on dry land, and Pharaoh died. They were fed from the heavens daily. They saw miracle after miracle after miracle consistently. But here's here's what happened. They couldn't get into the promised land because Hebrews 3.19 tells us because of their what? Unbelief. Had zero to do with their experience. But their unbelief, experiences fade, but the word of the Lord stands. Listening, experiences can encourage us. They can lift us up for, for, for a time, right? But the word of God is my daily bread. Amen? Experience fade, but the word of God endures. To which you will, uh, you will do well, pay attention, as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. And finally, here's the last one, the, wor- uh, the word, the world gets darker, but the word shines brighter. So the Greek word here is translated in, for dark is murky. Everyone say murky. The word of God says this in Psalm 119, 105. The wor- thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a what? Light unto my path. The psalmist declared this. And the darker and the murkier the world gets... Uh, And the murkier your situation gets, the darker uh, your marriage gets or your school or your work or your job gets or whatever the case, the brighter the word of God will shine and be more precious to you ever and ever. Look at this, verse 20. I'm going to try to cruise through this. Knowing the first of all that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. Um, So Peter, he warns us here, make sure that you understand that. That no private, uh, no prophecy is of private interpretation. Well, what does that mean? Um, 
you know, if someone says, hey, I will, I will give you a personal uh, prophecy here uh, privately for $29.99, run. Here's what I know about the word of God. I can read lots of commentaries and inspired men of God who, who break down the word of God, who exegete scripture very well. And it may, they may have different doctrinal views on certain things, but there's always a common theme. The Holy Spirit always leads to a specific thing, okay? So look at this. I, 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 and, I, and I don't want to take too much time here, but exegesis, that's a big word. And that is uh, exegesis of scripture is the interpretation and using that interpretation of what the scripture means in the context of the themes within the Bible. And the way that we do that is called hermeneutics. I want to say hermeneutics. This is going to be a flash lesson here. Hermeneutics, hermeneutics is using the Bible to prove the Bible. It's when I see a scripture and I find it, another scripture that references this scripture that makes it a doctrine. No single scripture can stand alone ever. No single scripture can stand alone, uh, uh, you know. And, and there's this thing called eisegesis. Everyone say eisegesis. And, and this is dangerous. Eisegesis is interpreting scripture to fit your narrative, basically. People do this uh, often. And, and, man, my prayer is this. God, help me to not fall prey to this. God, God lead and guide me. Here, I'll give you a quick example. If I were to read the book of Daniel and I told you that, that the church, uh, the scripture tells us in Daniel that we should pray three times a day in the morning and, and at lunchtime and at nighttime and we got to open our windows and we got to face Jerusalem. That's what the scripture says, right? That's just like pulling it out right there. But then if I keep reading that, the Bible and then I get to where Jesus said, when I pray, I should pray in the closet where I, can't, where I shouldn't be seen. And then I keep reading a little bit further, and, and Paul instructs not to pray three times, but to pray continually. And I'm saying all this to say this, no scripture stands alone. We, we use scripture to prove scripture. That's, that's, that's what we do. Listen, uh, there's uh, different variations of preaching. There's topical, there's expository. But when we go through this line by line, it is very hard to mess up. All right, look at this, verse 21, last verse, everyone say amen. All right, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. Everyone say it's only by God. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So a thousand years before Jesus came, men were inspired by the Holy Spirit to prophesy about the coming Messiah. I love this, we're in Christmas season. I, I promise, I'm almost done. David prophesied that the Messiah's hands and feet would be pierced in Psalms 22:16. Isaiah prophesied that the Messiah would not open his mouth uh, to defend himself when he was tried on false charges, Isaiah 53, 7. Isaiah also prophesied that he would be destined to be buried uh, with, the, with the wicked in which he would be buried in a tomb of a rich man, Isaiah 53, 9. Micah prophesied that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. Zechariah prophesied that he would ride into the holy city on the back of a donkey, Zechariah 9, 9. He also prophesied that he would be betrayed by a friend for 30 pieces of silver, Zechariah 11, 12. And that the silver would be used to buy a potter's field, Zechariah eleven thirteen. Malachi prophesied that he would have a forerunner announcing his coming, Malachi 3, 1. So here's the thing. I gave you eight prophecies right there. You know how many prophecies that Jesus fulfilled? 300. So let me give you some, some odds here. If I if Those eight prophecies, that is one to the 10th to the 28th power. 
come on, all my math teachers. That's a big number. That's a huge number. What are the odds of, of fulfilling those eight? I mean, that's, but going even a step further, fulfilling these 300 is an astronomical number that we can't even comprehend. So the ability for one person to perfectly fit all 300 of these is beyond even my ability to even illustrate. So, so no other so-called holy book dares to deal with prophecy like the Bible does. It does. It, it, it just throws it out there. Only the Bible has the boldness, the courage to deal with future events. So that is why all, all, although men die, everyone say the word of God endures. That is why although experiences fade, the word of God endures. And that is why as the world gets darker and darker, the word of God shines brighter and brighter. And I don't know about you, I thank God for this word right here. I'm grateful for it. So here, here, I'll give you, this is real fast. In a nutshell, this is what we talked about tonight. The qualities of our faith, uh, our, our faith, virtue, knowledge, self-control, patience, godliness, and, and love coupled with scripture will help believers avoid false teachings. Bow your heads with me as we pray tonight. God, we lift up every soul.